another episode of 10 Podcast Lane. In this episode, we look into the dark history surrounding the Salem Witch Trials. One of the most endearing myths for pretty much anyone, I'm sure, would have to be witches. When you think of one, you instantly think of a green-faced witch, boil on her nose, with a pointed black hat sitting atop her wiry hair, flying through the sky on her broomstick. Black cat sat closely behind her. But where do witches come from? One of the first records of witches or witchcraft is in the book of Samuel 1 in the Bible, thought to have been written around 931 BC. It tells the tale of King Saul, who sought out the witch of Endor in order for her to summon the dead prophet of Samuel's spirit to help him defeat the Philistine army. The witch did as asked and raised Samuel, who then prophesied the death of Saul and his sons. The next day, according to the Bible, Saul's son died in battle, and Saul committed suicide. Things didn't fare much better for witches from here on, especially through the eyes of Christianity, with verses in the Old Testament flat out condemning witches, as stated in the book of Exodus 22.18, which declares, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Don't worry, this isn't a Bible study podcast, merely setting the scene to what a witch is. During the 1400s, mainly across Europe, and in particular Germany, thousands of women were ruthlessly tortured and burned at the stake for being self-confessed witches. In my opinion, these kinds of confessions can be taken with a pinch of salt, as I would imagine when being tortured, one would say anything to get some respite. I hear you ask me, full with morbid fascination, Justin, what were these torture methods? Well, you sick bastards, here's but a few of them. One of the tests that would be done to get a confession would be water torture, the act of dunking in a body into freezing cold water. The suspected witch would be strapped to a chair that was connected to a makeshift pulley and submerged into a fast rushing river. This was referred to as a dunking chair. Obviously, this was not crazy in the minds of the accusers. There was a perfect reason for this. The idea was that God would help the innocent, while the guilty would simply die. They thought, if the woman was truly a witch, she would simply float out of the water, due to the refusal to be baptised. Makes perfect sense, if you're absolutely mental. Another less friendly way of torturing the witch from someone was the method of pressing. The witch would be laid out on a flat surface and gradually as the days went on, if there was no confession, more weight would be added. This would be repeated until the witch confessed to their pact with the devil, or until they were crushed to death. There was a noted case of this in Salem, our topic of choice today, where a man named Giles Corey was accused of being a warlock. At the time of the hearing, Giles remained stoic and would not give the township the satisfaction of a plea. He was removed from the court and placed on lengths of wood outside, where he was eventually covered 
with heavy boulders. He never confessed to being a warlock, and it is said until his dying breath he would be heard shouting, more weight. It is also said that Giles' spirit still wanders the streets, and mostly can be seen as a bad omen before some sort of disaster happens. Then we have the good old fashioned burning at the stake. Trial by fire can be traced back to Hammurabi's code, a form of punishment used for looters and priestesses who abandoned their posts. Later, the medieval inquisition regularly burnt heretics, and the Constitutio Criminalis Carolina of 1532 decreed that sorcery be treated as a criminal offence. As such, the official punishment was burning at the stake. This was likely due to an association between fire and purification of a person, their souls, and of the crimes they were accused of. In particular, it was commonly believed that a witch would be fast consumed by the flames and send them straight to hell, while an innocent person would survive. Yet again, this makes no sense that an innocent person would not be harmed by fire and only a witch burned. It all reached such a fever pitch in the 16th and 17th century that it is believed that between 60 to 80,000 women and men were tortured and killed, accused of being warlocks, witches, or just plain old in cahoots with Beelzebub himself. This was in no small part due to the Malleus Maleficarum, a guide of sorts, written by two German Dominicans in 1486, that described how to identify, hunt, and interrogate suspected witches. This book was the second most purchased book for over 100 years, only behind the Bible, both seemingly going hand in hand. I just want to take a moment to let you know that this week's episode is brought to you by HouseOfMysteriousSecrets.com Your number one source of horror merchandise for 15 years running. They have everything from toys, apparel, soundtracks, comics, marks, hard-to-find collectibles, and so much more. Their inventory caters to genres, fans of all kinds, from classic monsters to 80s B-movies to modern favourites. House of Mysterious Secrets ships worldwide and offers free shipping on all US orders over $65. Where else can you find a Friday the 13th fanny pack, a John Carpenter record, a Suspiria t-shirt, Monster Squad wallet, a chopping mall hat and the latest issue of Fangoria all in one place. Head over to houseofmysterioussecrets.com to see it all for yourself. Use the coupon code DARK10 that will give you 10% off. It's good once per customer. There's no expiration date. And now back to the show. The United States also had a newfound problem with witches, even before the fabled Salem Trials. Alice Young, or Alsa as she was known, was a wife and mother of one that was accused of witchcraft by way of bringing the influenza-related deaths to New England and Windsor that killed many people, including a high death rate among children. There are not many details known about Alice other than she stood trial, was convicted of witchcraft and hanged at the Meeting House Square in Hartford, Connecticut 
on the 26th of May 1647. This was the first execution for witchcraft of the 13 colonies, but by no means the last. Things weren't that bad in all colonies though. In Virginia, people were less frantic about witches. In Lower Norfolk County in 1655, a law was passed making it a crime to falsely accuse someone of witchcraft. Now, this didn't mean there were no more trials for it. It just meant you better have a lot of evidence to prove it. Or, you could end up on the wrong end of the gallows rope. About two dozen witch trials, mostly of women, took place in Virginia between 1626 and 1730. None of the accused were executed, and it is also not known if anyone was convicted of falsely accusing a person of witchcraft. This brings us nicely to Salem, Massachusetts, where the now infamous Salem witch trials occurred between 1692 and 1693. Over 200 people were accused of practicing the devil's magic of which 20 met their untimely death. And I say people, because as well as women, men were also charged with being warlocks and performing witchcraft. In January of 1692, Reverend Paris's daughter, Elizabeth, age nine, and niece, Abigail Williams, age 11, started having fits. They screamed, threw things, uttered peculiar sounds and contorted themselves into strange positions. The local doctor blamed the supernatural. Another girl, Anne Putnam, aged 11, experienced similar episodes. On February 29th, under pressure from the magistrates, Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, the girls blamed three women for afflicting them. Titiba, a Caribbean slave, Sarah Good, who was a homeless beggar, and Sarah Osborne, an elderly, impoverished woman. All three women were brought before the local magistrates and interrogated for several days, starting on March 1st, 1692. Osborne claimed innocence, as did Good, but Titiba confessed. The devil came to me and bid me to serve him. She described elaborate images of black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a black man who wanted her to sign his book. She admitted that she signed the book and said there were several other witches looking to destroy the Puritans. All three women were put in jail. This is all it took to set the cogs in motion and opened the floodgates to countless accusations over the months that followed. There was utter shock in the community when one Martha Corey was accused of being a witch. Martha Corey was a 72-year-old woman, married to a wealthy farmer named Giles Corey. She was a big part of the local church and was a constant at the sermons. Martha was very outspoken in the community against the witch trials and had not given them an iota of support. 
mainly because she did not believe witches or warlocks existed. It is written that she had publicly denounced the witch trials, as well as the judges who were involved in the various cases. She was in no doubt that the accusers were lying and may have had ulterior motives for the accusations. Shortly after these instances, two young local girls named Anne Putnam Jr. and Mercy Lewis accused poor Martha, who had done nothing other than denounce the trials of witchcraft. Whilst on one of her tirades against the trials, Martha was completely unaware of the level of paranoia in the village, and as she went to trial, she was in her words, simply truthful of her innocence and in no doubts at all that she would be exonerated in full of her accusations. In the hearings that proceeded, as both girls gave their testimony against Martha during examination, Corey asked the judge not to believe the rantings of hysterical children and continued to make similar claims throughout the Salem trials, which as it would end up, would not go in her favour. At one point in the trial, the girls began mimicking her movements as if they were being controlled by Martha under a demonic spell. Mercy Lewis proclaimed, There's a man. He whispered in her ear. John Hawthorne asked the children if this man was Satan, to which Anne Putnam Jr. cried out that Martha Corey had a yellow bird sucking on her hand, which in these days, it seemed, was enough evidence to persuade the jury of her guilt. By accusing her, the Putnam family established their power in the town and showed that they would willingly attack anyone who openly doubted their motives and authority, even a church devotee who simply had a difference of opinion. Martha Corey, aged 72, was hanged on September 22, 1692. This accusation represented a turning point in the Salem witch trials as Corey was a respected member of the church who had a good economic and social standing within the community. After this, accusations escalated across social boundaries and over 100 women were eventually accused of witchcraft. On May 27, 1692, Governor William Phipps ordered the establishment of the Special Court of Oyer and Termine to hear and decide for Suffolk, Essex and Middlesex counties. The first case brought to the Special Court was Bridget Bishop, an older woman known for her gossipy habits and promiscuity. When asked if she committed witchcraft, Bishop responded, I am as innocent as a child unborn. The defence must not have been convincing because she was found guilty and on June 10th became the first person hanged on what was later called Gallows Hill. Five days later, respected minister Cotton Mather wrote a letter imploring the court not to allow spectral evidence, testimony about dreams and visions. The court largely ignored this request and five people were sentenced and hanged in July five more in August and eight in September. On October 3rd, following in his son's footsteps, increased mother, then president of Harvard, denounced the use of spectral evidence in the trials, 
stating, It were better that ten suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned. Governor Phipps, in response to Mather's plea and his own wife being questioned for witchcraft, prohibited further arrests, released many accused witches and dissolved the court of Ireland Termini in October 29th. Phipps replaced it with a superior court of judicator, which disallowed spectral evidence and only condemned three out of 56 defendants. Phipps eventually pardoned all who were in prison on witchcraft charges by May 1693. But the damage had been done. 19 were hanged on Gallows Hill. A 71-year-old man was pressed to death with heavy stones. Several people died in jail and nearly 200 people overall had been accused of practicing the devil's magic. Following the trials and executions, many involved, like Judge Samuel Sewell, publicly confessed error and guilt. On January 14, 1697, the General Court ordered a day of fasting and soul-searching for the tragedy at Salem. In 1702, the court declared the trials unlawful, and in 1711, the colony passed a bill restoring the rights and good names of those accused and granted £600 in restitution to their heirs, which in today's currency and markets would be in and around thirty-five dollars to $40,000. However, it was not until 1957, more than 250 years later, that Massachusetts formally apologised for the events of 1692 and that brings us to the end of another episode of 10 podcast lane um, i just want to say thanks again as always for all the messages and ideas that are coming my way and um, i'll get to as many as i can the next episode i'm going to do is on krampus with it being uh, the christmas period so i'm going to try and get that out as soon as possible so until next time aim for the bushes.